My little children, John said, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Put your money where your mouth is. If you say you love somebody, then love them in real real time, right? Don't just say it. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. I want to preach to you for a little while this morning. God help me in Jesus' name. But I want to preach to you for a little while this morning a refuge for your heart. A refuge for your heart. Everybody say thank the Lord for the word. You may be seated. Thank you for your patience. Thank you so much. Where did John, who is the writer of 1 John, get the idea for this particular text that I just read? I'll tell you what I believe later on in this message. Part of the definition of the word refuge is as follows. That which shelters or protects from danger or distress that brings deliverance from that which will harm. Any place that one is out of the way of evil or danger. In the Old Testament, God had cities of refuge built for unintended homicide. Even a hospital could be considered a place of refuge. I am so thankful today to say that Grace Church has been a refuge for many that came here hurting, feeling unforgiven, broken, and even bitter. So my question today is to all of us, where do we go? Where do we go when we need a refuge from failure, despair, heartbreak, disappointment? Where do you go? When I was a child, I remember playing around my dad sitting on the front porch of our house on America Street downtown Baton Rouge, singing. He always sang this song, Where Could I Go? Oh, where could I go seeking a refuge for my soul? Whitney Houston sang a song that has become one of my favorites. Where do I go when there's nobody else to turn to? Who do I talk to when nobody wants to listen? Who do I lean on when there's no foundation stable? I go to the rock. I know he's able. I go to the rock. I go to the rock for my salvation. I go to the stone that the builders rejected. I run to the mountain and the mountain stands by me. And when the earth all around me is sinking sand, on Christ the solid rock I stand. When I need a shelter, when I need a friend, I go to the rock. Where do I go? Where do I go when the storms of life are threatening? Who do I turn to when those winds of sorrow blow? And is there a refuge in the time of tribulation? I go to the rock. I know he's able. God, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Y'all don't feel it like I do because you don't know what's coming. But I do. 
And I'm, let me just get with it. Where do you go? Where do you go when you've made a mistake? Or when you are the victim of someone else's blunder and misjudgment? The Bible said in Romans chapter 8 verse 1, and I herald this from my tiptoes today. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Hallelujah. Psalm 103, for as the heavens is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, as far hath He removed our transgressions from us, like as a father pities his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear Him. For He knows our frame, and He remembers that we are dust. Paul said in Ephesians, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sin, where in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation, our conduct in times past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us I believe the following scriptures for sinner people for lost people but it is also for saints and the lukewarm and the hurting and the broken and the unforgiven and the unforgiving Peter said in his epistle, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I want to ask Grace Church today to help me herald this message to everyone in this area who may be backslidden, heartbroken, disillusioned, and full of despair. If your heart is condemning you, there is a place you can go where you will not be judged but restored there is a refuge for your heart hallelujah a place you can go to where you will be loved and not cast aside grace church is still a place of hope, healing, and restoration. I want those who are serving in Acts 29, and you know who you are, to broadcast this amongst our young people all over the area. Their hearts oftentimes will condemn them for the things they do that violates the Word of God. But there's a place they can come to for for forgiveness and for reconciliation. We must understand that when our heart condemns us, that God is greater than our heart, and He knows all things, and His mercy is new every morning. There's two things. There's two things. Everybody say two things. That we must never believe. First, You can never believe the devil. He is a liar and the father of all lies. He couldn't tell the truth standing on a stack of Bibles. 
So you can't believe the devil. The second thing you can't believe is your heart. You cannot believe what your heart will tell you. Jeremiah said, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And who can know it? Who was it, Shakespeare? Was it Shakespeare that said, Who knows what evil lurks in the heart of man? Only the shadow knows, and he'll never tell. Brilliant. Here's why you can't believe your heart. Our heart can only register what is right or wrong. You do something nice, and your heart will give you a pat on the back and say, good boy, good girl, you did very good. You do something wrong, and your heart says you are bad, you are horrible, you are evil, and it will condemn you. But when your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart and he knows all things and he wants to remove your guilt and condemnation and restore you and heal you. There needs to be about eight people running the aisles right now. I just, we need to be excited about this man. I know we're all brushed over, warmed up, double-jointed, calloused over Pentecostals, but I think the word of God still ought to excite us once in a while. When you read 1 John chapter 3, if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. This is not a verse of condemnation. It's a verse of encouragement and hope. When I fail, my heart says, failure, hypocrite, bad, shallow, inconsistent, unreliable, unusable. You might as well quit. But God, who knows all things, says, just wait a minute. Grace is coming. Mercy is coming. The love of God is coming. Forgiveness is coming. Hope is coming. Healing is coming. I'm giving somebody hope today. It ain't over with you, baby. It ain't over with yet. The devil may tell you you're a creep, but I know a God that knows your heart. I want you to all notice today that God never has a bad day. At my best, I have lousy days. There are days that at my best, I act out of character and take what I call the high road. I can act like a creep and fuss and gripe and complain and pout and be in a bad mood and justified by saying, well, I'm just not myself today. I'm not on top of my game today. I'm having a bad day today. God doesn't ever get to do that. God can never say those things. God is always and forever at his best. He never has a bad day. Or is he in a bad mood? Or neither does he pout and gripe and complain. So notice, the Bible says, God is love. Everybody say that. God is love. I want to ask you today, if God is love, then when? Always. You just said it. 
Not a trick question. God is love. Always. You can choose to stop loving me. You can choose to stop loving me anytime you want to. But God never has that option. See, there needs to be about eight people running the aisles right now. God always loves me. He always loves you. God can't lower himself to have a bad day. If he loved you when you were in the womb, if he, he loves you now. If he loved you when you were a kid, he loves you now. Listen, listen, everybody listen. God loves you. And what we all must understand is God loves you. And it has nothing to do with your performance. It doesn't. I'm going to prove it. You know, I can feel comfortable around most people. As long as I know how to act, and as long as I know I can perform properly. As humans, we give out our love to whom we deem worthy of it. Let me narrow the focus. As Pentecostals, we deem out our love to people that we think are worthy of it. It's based on their performance. Hello, did my mic just go off? Did we switch denominations? I mean, I've never preached in the library. Maybe this is how it feels. We give out our love to who we believe meets our approval and expectations, whose behavior and character aren't what we think it ought to be. Then we quit loving that person. But God doesn't operate that way. You want me to prove it? Romans chapter 5. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely, maybe once in a while, a righteous man, one will die for. Yet peradventure, just maybe, for a good man, some will even dare to die. But God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. That's the book. He loved me when I was a creep. He loved me when I was unlovable. He loved me when I didn't perform good. He loved me when I didn't behave right. He loved me when I didn't talk right. He loved me no matter what. If he loved us as sinners, then surely... He loves us when we became His sons and daughters, even though we still sin. So let's look at 1 John three twenty one. Beloved, if our heart condemn us, excuse me, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. What does that mean? We say it means, if I'm good... If I'm a good Christian, if I behave and do what I'm supposed to do, then I should feel pretty good. You know who puts that on us? Our Pentecostal traditions. Preachers do that. If you're a good boy, then you can get a star on your forehead. 
and you get to keep the American flag on your desk for a week. But if you're a bad boy, we're going to put you out of the class. So, if I haven't sinned lately, then I think I'll pray. Because I'm good enough to pray if I hadn't sinned lately. And, huh? Buddy, this bunch of Pentecostals don't know what to say. I've only gotten one loud amen over here. Everybody else is, you going to amen him? I don't know, man, neither am I. I don't know if I believe that. Because we've been taught and schooled all of our life that God only does good things for good people. And you forget who you were the first time you came to an altar of repentance. Some of you as drug addicts and alcoholics. And some of you divorced and adulterers and whoremongers. Some of you that had issues and problems. You forgot about that day. I want to tell you right now, God don't love you any more right now than He did then before He saved you. for the love of God for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that while we were yet sinners he died for us you may be seated all you young folks sitting up right here all you young ones Andrew, Devin, Jonathan, Ethan did y'all see them two old men just go by here what are you doing you're going to get to be 61 one day, and you're going to look back and say, man, I wish I'd have got out behind them when I could. We ought to celebrate the fact that God loves me just the way I am. It's not based on my performance. It's based on His grace. Woo! God, I feel the Holy Ghost. So... If we think our heart is right, then we can have confidence that I'm good with God, right? That sounds like borderline that we're saved by works. I'm going to talk to you about that Wednesday night. You don't want to miss Wednesday night. This is a prelude to Wednesday night. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. But we say we can have confidence in God. And we're all buck wild and we'll pray and fast when we're on top of our spiritual game because we have confidence with God. And we believe God loves us more and somehow we're blessed even more because we're a good person and we haven't sinned lately and we haven't slapped anybody around or gossiped or stolen or lied or cheated. We've been faithful so we feel like we have some latitude and some status with God. Who were you the day you repented? What gave you that latitude? What gave you all that exercise and all that I'm good stuff? That's not what verse 21 means. What verse 21 means is that every single day that I live, Steve Elton Rath, I stand in the shadow 
of his cross every day that I live. He doesn't love me because I'm a good man. He loved me because he shed his blood and he bathed me in it and he forgives my sin when I ask him. That's what God does. It's not based on me. So those of you that don't pray because you're not a good person, raise up your hands and stand to your feet and open your mouth and worship the Lord. Man, we must remember that grace saved me. Grace forgave me. Grace accepted me. Not based on my performance, but because of His unmerited favor. We are saved by grace through faith. It's not what we did. It's what He did. We think as long as we can perform properly, that we have confidence with God. You know, I was, I don't normally do this too much, but I'm getting kind of warmed up, thank you. I was raised in a home culture, in a school culture, even a church culture, where I felt loved and accepted more when my performance and conduct and behavior was acceptable And if I ever broke the rules, woe unto me. I know we're on live stream and all that, and I get it, but this story is so applicable. And I don't mean to embarrass anybody. I'm not going to call names. But I had a family member when I was a child that ran away from home. It's one of the darkest hours I've ever spent in my home. My parents were on their head. They didn't know where this person was at or if they'd ever come home. It was about 2 in the morning, and I felt a scratching on the window right over the pillow where I was sleeping. My mother used to leave her mop outside by the back door, and he went and got that mop and scraped it on the window and woke me up. I went to sleep, and he said, Glenn, it's come let me in. I didn't stand up in the bed and say, you're just a sorry, no good for nothing creep. And you treat our mom and dad like dirt. And you've got to be out of your ever-loving mind if you think I'm going to let you in. Little brother got out of the bed, sleepy and groggy. And my hair, I had bed head going on some kind of fierce. I didn't care what I looked like. I wasn't even half-dressed, and that's as far as I'll go with that. But I walked to the door, and I opened the door, and we cried. But what we didn't know is mom and dad were in another part of the house waiting for that door to open. They were up, man. They were awake. They had been praying. I didn't know that. But they were ready, they were willing, and they were waiting on him to come home. He walked in the house full of shame, full of condemnation, full of fear. You know, growing up as a kid, I didn't really become that much of a heathen until I was a teenager. When I was there, I didn't get that many whippings. My older siblings say I was spoiled, but I was just a good kid. I can't help it. I, I had seven before me, six ahead of me, and I saw what would happen. And I didn't have to learn from my own experience. 
what would happen when you misbehave. So, but my, this relative, this person in our family walked in. My parents went and got him and set him down at the kitchen table. Now, he was sorry, low-down, good-for-nothing creep, and he hurt my mom and dad real bad, and he cursed and swore and made hand gestures and all that kind of stuff, and he said some pretty ugly things. I never did that. But they walked him in and set him down at the kitchen table. I can still see it by 2 in the morning. And my mother fell on his neck and started sobbing and said, I love you, baby. I love you, my sweet darling. Looking back in retrospect, I'm thinking, my goodness, I was a good kid, and I never got nobody love on me like that. He was a creep and got more love than I did as a good kid. But it illustrates my point. And my mother said, and I can still hear her sweet, broken, sobbing voice in my ear. She said, your mom and daddy loved you, and you never have to run away from home again. Oh, God. I'm here to tell you today, Jesus don't love you because you're a good person. He loves you because He is. Sister Murphy and I raised our two kids, and we drilled it into their head that we will love you unconditionally. We will always love you. Our love for them was not based on their performance. Our love was based on the fact that they were our kids. That's it. I think both of them, I think they're both beautiful. I think they're handsome and they're beautiful and they're gorgeous. But I promise you, I would have loved them if they'd been ugly. You may think they're ugly, that's your business, and you have a right to be wrong. But, uh, but I've seen parents, I've seen parents with disabled children, with children that weren't born with all the faculties and everything they were supposed to have. And those parents dote over those kids. And they love them. They're not perfect. They're not smart. Some of them can't even talk. Some can't see. Some can't hear. But that mom and dad would lay down their life for them. If humans can love that way, then how much more? There's a number of people here today. There's a number of people here who attend Grace Church today that have been a recipient of that kind of love. When you got lukewarm, when you backslid, when you sinned, whatever you did, we never stopped loving you. We never stopped loving you. And you know it. And I'm happy to say, neither did God. We have bad days and we mess up. The devil in our heart comes and puts condemnation on us and we feel embarrassed and ashamed. But Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. James said, if you ask him, he is faithful and just to forgive your sin. I don't care who you are, and I don't care what you've done. It's not that I don't care. You know what I mean. You're always welcomed in his presence. You're always welcomed in His presence. 
you're always welcome in his presence. And it has nothing to do with your performance, but it has everything to do with his blood and his grace and his mercy. I've heard many people say through the years, God just don't love me anymore. God doesn't love me anymore. The reason people say that is because their heart is condemning them. But God is greater than your heart, and he knows all things. Listen to pastor. This is not a license to sin, but a liberty that we must understand. It's where the Spirit of the Lord is. There's liberty, not us. It's not where we are there's liberty. It's where he is. I hate to say this. Sister Murphy gets mad at me when I do this. But some of you just ain't hearing me. You need to understand what I'm about to say. Before you sin, the devil is a tempter. After you sin, he becomes an accuser. So it goes like this. He will tempt us to lie, cheat, steal, gossip, commit adultery, commit fornication, watch things we shouldn't watch, go places we shouldn't go, do things we shouldn't do, be unfaithful. And while we're sinning, he runs into a phone booth and he changes clothes and he changes his mask and he comes back out and he looks at you and says, oh my, you're a Christian and you did that? You claim to have the Holy Ghost and you did that? You believe in the Bible. You say you believe in the Bible. You witness to the man on the job. You've encouraged the lady you work with. Now here you are sinning. You believe all that? You must be a hypocrite. You must be a loser. You must be a sorry person. I can't believe you claim to have the Holy Ghost and you did all of that. After that, your heart buys into it and says, I'm as guilty as sin. I'm no good. I can't do this. I'm a hypocrite. I'm hopeless. And it's just not worth trying this Christian thing anymore. But hang on. Here comes Jesus. And he says, I still love you. Anyway, I'll never leave you and I'll... Never forsake you, and I'll forgive you of all of that if you'll ask me, and I'll even give you a path forward. I'll make a way of escape for you. Yes, God hates sin, but he never stops loving you. Oh, my. Oh, my. One of the first songs that most of us learned as a child, we learned it in Sunday school. Jesus loves me. This I know. Not based on my performance, <coughs> but based on His Word. We missed it when we learned that song. Sister Bonnie, I don't know that we got that out of our four-year-old Sunday school class downtown on America Street. I didn't ever see it that way. Until this past week. Jesus loves me this I know. Because the Bible tells me so. It's not based on my performance. Even when I'm weak, he is strong. How many parents, how many people here today have kids? How many people here today are glad you have kids? 
How many people regret you had kids? No, I'm kidding. <clears throat> How many of you threw your kids out to the curb when they messed up? How many of you, when your kid came home and punched the neighbor's kid in the eye or stole something from Walmart or said an ugly four-letter word, called and said, that's it, and you called the local adoption agency and said, you're out of here. I don't see any hands. So I don't guess any of our parents did that. When my kids made mistakes... It did not make me hate them. Why in the world do you think when you make a mistake, God's going to start hating on you all of a sudden? And there's a few, one or two kids here today that's worthy to be hated on a little bit. You're a heathen. You run your parents through the paces, man. Quit being an idiot and a jerk and do what you're supposed to do. You'll be all right. You wouldn't get in trouble. You wouldn't get punished. You wouldn't die to do time out. Buddy, I wish I had time out when I was a kid. As the old comedian said, my dad would take time out and beat my rear. That's the only time out I got. Anybody feel me here today? But I can't imagine... Hating my kids because they messed up. If anything, it made me feel empathy because I remember being a kid and messing up. It made me love them more because I wanted to help them. Come on, moms and dads, quit sitting there staring at me like I'm a Sears catalog. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? There's moms and dads here today. I know it because you shared it with me. Your kids have put you through the ringer, man. But it made you better parents. It made you know what love is. And it ought to make us relate to the love of God. Because when we mess up, God wants to help us. He wants to love us. He cares about us more. I'm a little nervous. Sister, am I doing okay, Sister Murphy? All right. I, I need her approval sometimes. I get a little nervous. God will never kick you to the curb. He's always there. His grace is always there. And His blood is always there. The Bible said in Psalm 7, God judges the righteous and God is angry with the wicked every day. And people say, see there, God's angry with me. Yes, He's angry with you. Because he loves you. If he didn't care about you, he wouldn't give a flip about you. And he'd let you go do what you want. He's angry because he cares. And I got angry at my kids because I love them. My mom and dad got angry with me because they loved me. Is anybody hearing me today? Whatever God was, he is. And he does not love you less when you fail. I'm trying to hurry. Does it feel to y'all like I've been preaching a long time? Awesome. Thank you. Appreciate that. Whew. I've got my landing gear down, but it's a long runway. Listen, listen. Everybody listen. Get a hold of this. Don't ever forget this. God doesn't condemn us 
God convicts us. When you feel condemnation, your heart and the devil will point you to your deed. When you feel condemnation, your heart and the devil will remind you consistently of what you did that was so horrible. God don't do that. When God convicts you, He does not magnify your deed. He magnifies Calvary. See, this is where I need about eight people running the aisle right now. He will even more, He will even move on the preacher to point you to Him, which is what I'm doing today. God moved on me hard to preach this today. I've had no choice. I couldn't even think of something else. Why? Because there's people here today whose heart has condemned you. And if it's only one, I'm good with that. But I think there's more than that here today. Your heart has condemned you. God sent me to you not to condemn you over what you did, but to convict you and get you to come back to Calvary. Condemnation drives you away, but conviction draws you back. What's a song the praise team sings? Your kindness, sing it to the Lord. Your kindness draws me, brings me to repentance. Your kindness. He doesn't judge and slam you down and cast you out. He convicts you and draws you to him. Condemnation will ruin you, but conviction will reconcile you. Condemnation is hell's weapon to take away your joy and peace and fellowship. But grace is heaven's agent that reconciles and restores and renews. Sometimes we're afraid of grace because we don't always understand its motives and purpose. Grace is not a license to live loose and reckless. Grace is actually higher than law. I live the way I live. Not because of laws and rules and requirements, but because I'm a debtor to His grace and to His love. And I want to do everything I can to please Him. I serve Him. Not because I'm afraid of Him. I serve Him because I love Him and I want to please Him. God help us today. God help us today to get rid of guilt and condemnation and to stop putting it on others. He who the Son sets free. When God saves you, He don't put you in prison. He turns you loose out of prison. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. So when we are guilty over a deed, God will convict us and forgive us. Listen to me, Pentecostals. We must learn to do the same thing. Who do we think we are to impose guilt on somebody else for the deeds they've done? If you are without sin, go ahead and cast your stone, buddy. But I'm going to drop mine to the ground and fall at the foot of the cross myself and say, God, forgive me.
And I want to go on to say that if God forgives me of my guilt, who do you think you are to impose it? You know what our problem is? We judge people over their deeds. This is what John's talking about in John, 1 John chapter 3. We judge people over their deeds and say you're an awful evil person because of what you did. God doesn't do that. God knows our own heart even when we don't know our heart. There's been a lot of things I've done, Brother Kelton, that I didn't mean to do, but I was judged for it. But God forgave me and set me free from it. Why? Because He knows I didn't mean to do it. Pentecostals don't like that. We like to be a recipient of it, but we don't like to give it. All right, I'm meddling now. I've got I to move on. All right. Hebrews 4.16. I'm, I'm done. Kind of. The writer said, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. And find what? When? Oh, no, no, no. That's not what we believe. That's what the Bible said. But that's not what we believe. We come boldly to the throne of grace when we've been a good boy. We feel all buck wild and buddy, I'm coming. Because I hadn't sinned in three days. So I can come boldly to the throne and I can tell God what I think. That's not what he said. You come to him not because you're perfect and your performance has been perfect. You come to him when you need him. But our problem with that is that's not when we want to come because we're embarrassed and we're ashamed. Most people feel that when they mess up, they feel like they need to leave. They feel ashamed and unwanted. Why? Because their heart is condemning them. But not so. God doesn't feel that way. And neither does Grace Church. I've got to hurry. I'm going too long. I want to come to this point, media people, if y'all will help me. People need to come. Put this on the screen. People need to come. They need to know that they will be accepted and forgiven when they sin. And we, Grace Church, the people of God, should be the first place they want to come to, not the last. But see, as, as sweet Pentecostals like we are, full of self-righteousness, we'll come to that in a minute, I'm trying to hurry. We don't do that to people. We don't portray that message. We say when you're sin and you're a heathen and you've done horrible things, we don't want you back. That's what Pentecostals across the board say. I'm going to be honest with Grace Church here in the morning today. I've come to despise it. We should be the first place people want to come to. They shouldn't feel compelled to go to a person they work with or a hypocrite or a backslider or somebody else that's bitter and pour their heart out. They need to come to a child of God who's prayed up, who is full of compassion and understanding. That's where you go when your heart condemns you. It's a reproach to the church 
when backsliders and the hurting and the bitter and the shamed doesn't come to the church for fear of being condemned and unforgiving. Okay, y'all move ahead. I gotta, I gotta shut this down. So where did John get this verse? Actually, I'm not moving ahead. I'm just making him think I'm moving ahead. Okay. Where did John get the inspiration for this verse? The night Jesus was crucified, Peter denied Jesus three times, cursed and swore as Jesus told him he would. In addition to that, Jesus was executed that night, adding either more regret and shame and condemnation to Peter. So Peter did what a lot of people do. I'm just about done, I promise. I'm just about through. Peter did what a lot of people do. Since I am hopeless, a good-for-nothing failure, I'm going to go back to my old lifestyle. This disciple thing is not for me, so I'm going back to the place where I was before Jesus found me. He departed, and as it usually goes with people, when they depart, they take people with them. So he and his fellow ex-disciples had perhaps their first sleepless night, and so when they couldn't sleep because of denial and condemnation and unbelief, they went fishing. Somewhere around the break of day, a lone figure showed up on the seashore and said, Hey, y'all doing any good? You caught any fish? They're straining through the fog, trying to see who that is. And they said, No! We're not having many good luck tonight. And the person on the shore said, Why don't you cast your net on the right side of the boat? Watch, watch. Got to read between the lines. I believe John leaned over to Peter and said, I think I know who that is. Peter said, How how can you know that? He said, You know, it's foggy and it's not light all the way. And how can you know? He said, It's got to be Jesus. Because, first of all, he's not condemning us for leaving. And number two, he's given us a second chance by asking us to throw the net on the other side of the boat. See, I thought there'd be about eight people running the aisles right about now with that. I think that's pretty cool right there. They come to the shore. They come to the shore. And Jesus starts asking Peter a question. Simon, do you love me? Now, he's been a heathen. And Jesus is talking to him. And he's being nice. They just caught more fish that night than they, they broke all the records, Brother Tommy. They never caught fish that big and that many at one time in their life. Because Jesus was being nice and not condemning them and not judging them. He said, I want to know if you love me. Get this. Get it. Peter said, yeah, I love you. Jesus said, no. Do you love me? Peter said, yeah. I know I've been a heathen and a creep and all that, and I did some bad things, but I don't feel like I'm being judged for what I did because you know my heart. So Jesus asked him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? 
And Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said to Jesus, Lord, you know all things. My heart is condemning me, making me feel like a creep. Jesus, you know I love you. I didn't mean to curse and swear and deny you three times. I didn't mean to walk away. I didn't mean to backslide. I didn't mean to quit coming. I didn't mean to give up. Jesus, you know I love you because you know my heart. You know all things. John was standing off to the side. Stand with me. John was standing off to the side. And he probably thought to himself, and after it was all over, back over to Peter and said, that's pretty cool right there, man. I like the way that happened. I like this God knows my heart business. So John said, if I ever get to write a book, I think I'll say it this way. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but show it. Indeed, in the truth, and hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before Him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart. Peter denied the Lord three times. The crowd judged his deed and condemned him. His heart condemned him. But Jesus came and found him hurting and bitter and guilty and full of condemnation. He judged Peter's heart. And Peter cast himself on the omniscience of God. You know all things. As I prepare to sing, the psalmist said, Hear my cry, O God. Attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I am. I'm not finished, but I'll stop. You get the point. I want the Grace Church to get this in your fiber. We don't judge people. Who do you think you are? Whose sin did you die for? We wouldn't die for ourselves, much less anybody else. We don't judge people. We don't want to condemn people. We want to love people and bring them to Calvary. I'm sorry I preached too long today, but you had to hear it. Somebody's got to hear it. So as they begin to sing today, I'm going to ask somebody here today to shed your Pentecostal traditional blah, 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 persona, garments, whatever. Can you get past yourself? Can you get past and work through the condemnation that your own heart is vexing you with right now? There may be people here right now that say, Pastor, if you only knew what I did last night, 
I didn't even want to come today. No, I don't need to know what you did last night. You tell him about it. But I can tell you this. Whatever it was, I'm not going to condemn you. I want to make you and cause you to repent of it and to be a better person and bring you to Calvary. That's what I desire. So would somebody here today as they begin to sing, would you let His kindness bring you to repentance? There's folks that are just standing there. I don't, I don't know what you're doing. I don't understand. Why aren't you moving? Uh, you want to live in a fear and condemnation? <laughs> Why don't you come to the foot of the cross and say, Hey! Hey, God! I love you, but I want you to look at my heart and make sure I do. Would you come talk to the Lord? Everybody in the house today, would you come talk to the Lord? God, I've been a heathen. God, I'm not a good person. I don't even feel like a holy person. But I still love you. God, I still love you. And would you help my heart today? Would you take away the condemnation and the fear? God, draw me to your cross. All across the building, would you lift your hands heavenward? Would you lift your hands heavenward? Would you open your heart to Him? Come on, don't, don't keep, you don't have to keep your head down. You're in the presence of the Lord. Lift up your head. Lift up your hands. You're a child of God. God loves you today. God loves you today. God loves you today. Come on, there's hope here today. There's hope here today. There's power here today. There's deliverance here today. The power of the Holy Ghost is here right now. Somebody take advantage of it. Go ahead, ministry team. Help me today. Help me today. Find somebody. Hallelujah to God. Go ahead. Somebody open your heart to the Lord. Lift up your hands. Lift up your face to heavenward. And say, God, you know my heart.